for starters, you need to have your values as a part of your process for hiring because it is not fair and it is not kind to hire somebody without clear expectations of how they're going to be showing up every day because that's what values are. It's the how. Your vision is your why, your mission is your what, and your values are your how. So if you have clearly Hmm. stated values of how you're going to go about accomplishing your what and your why, but you don't hold anyone accountable to them, then you're basically telling people they don't matter and they're not real. Welcome to Rise Leaders Radio. I'm your host, Leanne Mallory. As a leadership coach, I work inside organizations and I focus on helping leaders achieve their whole person potential and meaningfully contribute to their organization's mission. With this podcast, I share leadership best practices, developmental approaches, and stories of exemplary leaders. Greetings, friends. You've tuned into part two of my conversation with Mary Beth Highland, author of Permission to be Human, a conscious leader's guide to creating a values-driven culture. Today, we get practical by talking about integrating corporate values throughout operations, from hiring to exit interviews and budgets and operations and operational meetings. Mary Beth has some great examples and shares her exit interview value-based questions during this episode. In case you missed the first half of our conversation, we talked about what it means to be focused on well-being at work and how to support others and ourselves during mental health challenges. So you can find that at www.rise-leaders.com forward slash podcast. And here's a bit about Mary Beth Hyland. She's the founder of Spark Vision, a firm that's committed to partnering with individuals, organizations, and teams who are invested in collaboration between their current and future generations of leaders so that they can bring life to their values and culture, which creates environments where people thrive. Mary Beth is courageous and compassionate, wise and practical. She's a certified mediator, mindfulness instructor, and values expert. Her recent awards include Circle of Excellence, Innovator of the Year, Top 100 Women, Civic Engagement Leader, and Leading Women. I hope you enjoy part two. As always, you'll find links in the show notes, and I'd love to hear any thoughts you have on this episode Remember that you can contact me through my website at www.rise-leaders.com and just look for the button to get in touch. Enjoy today's episode. All right. Well, I'm here again with Mary Beth Highland, who is the author of the book Permission to be Human, A Conscious Leader's Guide to Creating a Values-Driven Culture. And in our last conversation, we talked a lot about well-being and mental health. This conversation, we're going to take a bit of a turn and really focus on the second half of the book. So your book has two sections, Know Your Values 
And then the second half is own and live your values. And what really caught my attention, and I have deep appreciation for, is the how you talk about integrating values all through the organization. My experience with core ideology, values, vision, purpose, those those types of activities, there's a really intense and heartfelt period of time where organizations are working on these. And then sometimes they can get stranded on the conference room poster, or they come up at specific times, but they're not integrated throughout the whole we would say like employee life cycle, but also the operations of the organization. I would just love to hear your top three or so ways to fully integrate values into an organization's operations. And I want to start with, I love the quote that you have at the beginning of the chapter. It's a quote by Joe Biden. Don't tell me what you value. Show me your budget and I'll tell you what you value. And this is basically the walk the talk. You know, are you walking your talk? You say you have these values, mission, vision, purpose. But if I didn't see them on a sheet of paper and I just watched you in action, would I be able to say what your values are? And so, yeah, I just just go. I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. I was really impressed that you spent the whole second half of your book on this topic. Yeah, I so appreciate that, Leanne, because that's the most important, right? So the reason it's it, the book is framed about knowing your personal values first is that the whole idea is like, you need to go on an inner journey of understanding your own values and how they show up in your life before you can start to say, these are the values of our company. And these are the ways that I'm embodying them as a leader. And these are the way, right? Because it's all about having self-awareness first and working from that place of self-awareness. But what's incredibly powerful is when you can lead a whole organization through that process and then having them say, okay, well, now we know that the humans that make up this workplace are intrinsically motivated by these common values. (laughs) Why are we not making those the compass and guardrails for our culture versus what are the hit words right now in our industry or, you know, what's going on for uh, the best SEO and buzzwords <laughs> right. At the moment, right? And so really making it a human experience is it's so, so important. And that starts from the beginning. And that's usually when people, like you said, are very energized, they're excited. It feels like a really rewarding experience. This is literally why we do three-day values retreats with teams. But then, as you mentioned, it's like, okay, check, we did that. We've got the words, we have definitions of them. It's on our website. It's on our website. On your business card, right? It's on a poster. I have uh, organizations I've worked with that have them all over their parking garages, like branded, and but nobody could tell you what they were. And so that's actually one of the most incredible things is to, as far as that real feedback, as you were talking about, randomly ask somebody, what are the values of the organization? You can't look at, you can't look at your phone. Yeah. Right. And, and not from a regurgitation, <laughs> but from a lived experience. 
And so when you talk about this life cycle of an employee, it's going to be really hard to pick three, Leanne. So maybe <laughs> I encourage you to, to, to let me know what some of your favorites are. But, but really, so for starters, you need to have your values as a part of your process for hiring because it is not fair and it is not kind to hire somebody without clear expectations of how they're going to be showing up every day, because that's what values are. It's the how your vision is your why your mission is your what, and your values are your how. So if you have clearly Hmm. stated values of how you're going to go about accomplishing your what and your why, but you don't hold anyone accountable to them, then you're basically telling people they don't matter and they're not real. So why not start with being very clear? Um, one of the things I always say is, is that they're like a handshake between the employer and the employee of what's expected between the two of you. And so teams who can be explicit about that handshake of this is, these are the behaviors we expect as it relates to these values and not right interview processes. Everyone's putting their best foot forward. I doubt there's going to be many people saying, oh yeah, accountability. I don't, that's not one of my values, right? <laughs> um, but rather having more open-ended discussions with people about the values, asking them to share stories about those experiences in their own lives. It doesn't have to be at work either, but really helping them to understand what the value is, what it means, and then inviting them to be a part of a dialogue so that you can see more organically how they relate. I also encourage people to do that when they're checking in with references. Ask the references how they show up in those values or where they've had a stumbling block in those values. And then go ahead. I'm thinking of uh, like behavioral type questions. What would you do if this happened? And perhaps seeing if some of the solutions that the candidate comes up with are reflective that the values are already being lived by that person, that they are already important. Um, Not that people can't learn new things, but it would be curious to me, like, how are you already living accountability. And I'm looking at your values behind you, you know, the the transparency. Yeah. And for even from our previous podcast episode, this whole idea of well-being, if well-being is something you that you care about with your people and it's something you're honoring as a core value, ask people about how they, how do they define it? Right. How do they show up in those places? How do they communicate when they need support or not? Mm -hmm. And so that is a really powerful conversation to have on the front end because it's saying to that person, this is something we care about and something we actually do and expect to be able to have conversations about. I interviewed somebody um, around the, the book and some content in it. And there was an experience where they were telling me about how every like Wednesday they have like a soul circle and they're on their team and everybody goes around and talks about like what's on their soul at the moment. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's so awesome. How amazing. Well, that's because it resonates with my values. There are plenty of people who would say, that is so far out there for me. And that is so not the space I want to be in. How unfair would it be to bring someone onto the team who that would be a triggering experience for them that they didn't want to be a part of? Right. Let's just move on from there. So you bring someone in and I love one of the things that you talked about was, so you hire an employee, you feel like there's a good values fit they get to the organization and then their experience is 
different than the values that they thought were being lived by the organization. So they're in an operational role, perhaps they're in production or perhaps they're in sales or whatever. And they're maybe working with a leader or maybe there's just even policies within the organization that actually don't support the value. And then there's a kind of a break in trust because the employee feels like, I thought I was coming to work for this organization. Now that I'm here, I'm seeing that this is how things get really operationalized. And Mary Beth, you talk about the financial or the, the budgeting aspect that we you know, talk about that I mentioned in the quote that we read in the beginning but then also just in other operations. And so, uh, you know, I know that you interviewed a couple of people about the financial, you know, how a company uses their finances to support value. So maybe you can talk about that next. Yes. And it's so, so, so big. So a company may say, oh, we have a core value of growth, but there's no budget for professional development. And so when you say growth, you're talking about like personal growth. Right. Yeah. So if, yeah. It, let's just say professional. If that's how that, it, we can assume that's how it's defined for the organization, mm-hmm. right? Because every, that's another piece is that my definition of growth is different than your definition of growth is different from whoever's listening's definition of growth. And so that's why it's so important that companies not only have the words, but they have a definition and then create. Now, based on that definition, these are the expectations or what I consider value promises. But but going back to this idea of of budgets and and the financial aspect of things, the people making up the organizations, they have these really great ideas. It's like such a nice idea that there will be growth here, but only growth that's free. (laughs) Right. (laughs) We'll give you time uh, to go and do your thing, but we're not going to pay for it. Right. And there's yeah. one thing, it's one thing that you can absolutely grow in many ways that don't require additional financial investments. Yes, absolutely. But get clear on how do you define that? And then how are you backing it up by putting a line item in for it? I, I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me recently to work together on trainings and things like that. And then, and then the response is, oh, but we don't have a budget for, for trainings and it's like, okay, well, this is what the investment is. And then it becomes a whole dance of what do we actually invest in here and what actually matters. And it's really fascinating to see the difference between teams who have clear budgets that they know this is what it's going to be. And of course, it can change and all those kinds of things. But it's also it's so, so fascinating when people want – like, let's say I'm, I'm to have one on top of mine that I'm working on right now. It's like a team wants me to come in to support like psychological safety, trust, grounding in values, all these things. They want it in 90 minutes and they want it for a couple hundred bucks. There's some competing commitments. Right. So it's just it's just not possible. So that's also a part of understanding, like if you really want change and depth and width in what you're trying to create with operationalizing your values, you need to invest in them financially as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And they don't all have to do with the employees, like their own growth and development either, just even operational values like excellence or stakeholder involvement or something like that. 
but it, it doesn't get put into the budget one way or the other or some kind of practice. So if you want stakeholder involvement, if that is an important value for your organization, are you looking at your calendar and saying, here's how we do that. Here's who we want to do it with. Here's how much we're willing to invest to bring a group of people together. All of those kinds of things. It can't just be the statement on the wall. It really needs to have budget, policies, procedures, all of those kinds of things woven through with it. Totally. And what you just said reminded me of uh, one of the things I talk about in the book is that you can literally look at a budget, let's say for an organization overall, and start connecting line items to values. And so you could even start to say, oh, wow, we are 70% of our budget is skewed towards excellence, whereas we really need to beef up are areas of people first, whatever it be, right? Just making this up here. And that's the same for our schedules, as you just said. One of the things that I do personally and I coach people on is being able to actually color code your schedule based on the values you're activating so that you know when you visually look at your time, you can see how much am I really investing in these, this variety of values that I'm here to embody? Um, and how can I start to balance those out? And knowing that sometimes you may need more than others, just basing on the season that you're in, but being thoughtful about that process and, and having a practice in which you are actually, like you said, operationalizing and not just nice ideaing it. Right. So you can do it on a personal level. So if I have personal values, I can color code it that way. But then as an organization, when we um, hopefully are doing like an annual calendar, you know, I really advocate that people look at the whole year. They can also look at their, their meetings, their events, their quarterly reviews, all of that, and see seeing how the values are being animated on their corporate calendar as well. Totally. It's amazing. It's everywhere in meetings too, right? When you're making, when you're creating a schedule for a meeting, start connecting your values to those different topics, those line items in the meetings. Like I have many teams where we kick off meetings with a more of a fun aspect of the first five minutes. And, and that's specifically because it activates one of their core values versus a, okay, let's go straight to business. Mm-hmm. And so we always want to look at how can we use all of these ongoing experiences as a reflection and embodiment of these values versus that's separate or a nice idea for another time? No, it's a weaving into every single thing. So this is why I said, oh, it's going to be hard to pick three because you can really weave these into your interview process, your onboarding, your one-on-ones, your meetings, your process to determine who's getting um, promotions or raises, figuring out exit interviews, how do people leave your organization, budgets, strategic plans. It's, it's really everything. And so a lot of times we think, oh, we need a new idea or a new process or a new shiny object that's going to help us to elevate this experience. And my advice is always, you already have that thing. It's your values. Keep going back to them. Keep yep. going back to them. Keep using them as a tool, as that compass and guardrails. You do not need a new thing. <laughs> yep. I just did my last kind of 
well, now by the time that this is aired, it'll be a few months ago, but I was uh, interviewing a CEO of an advertising agency and he talked about in their agency, they have a no jerks rule. And he was actually tying this back to safety, like for him, culture, safety, meaning psychological safety is the number one element of a successful culture or a thriving culture and having a no jerks rule, because if they have clients that are not treating their employees well and have unrealistic expectations, and so they turn over a lot, it creates an instability within the organization, like a financial instability. So agencies um, are known for laying people off, letting people go on Fridays, and that has to do with the, you know, the coming and going of clients. And so really vetting clients. And I see this as a direct correlation to values as well. It says, here are the kind of clients we want to work with. Here's the stand that we're taking on how they treat our employees and the kind of work, the kind of partnership work that we do together. That's a value set of this particular organization. It's very operational. It has a huge impact on the budget and they regularly get voted best place to work. They have one of the lowest turnover rates in the industry. So it's not just about do people feel good there, but it's like, how is it impacting the success and the operations of the business itself? Totally agree. It's so true. And I think a lot of times we think it's only the internal, right? It's yeah, who right. We're onboarding, who we're hiring, but it's the external too, in many ways of when you bring in a client that's going to violate all of your values. It's not a good fit. It is not a good fit. Right. Maybe this is a good way to kind of wrap it up because this may be the kind of the end of this section, but you talked about using values in an exit interview process. And also, I think, in separating employees. And so, talk about that, because that was another thing that caught my eyes. Like, oh, how do we talk about using values during kind of the final part of the relationship with employees? Yeah, there's, oh my gosh, there's so many layers to this, but again, I'll I'll focus on (laughs) the exit interview piece because, right, there's so many layers of the way somebody leaves and whether they're terminated or they're leaving on, you know, by choice and all that process and the feelings associated to it and the grief associated to it and all that kind of stuff. So, I just put that as a disclaimer. Okay, right. <laughs> it's a big topic. It's kind it's of a big unf- topic. Yeah, it's kind of unfair to, to give you like three minutes to answer this question. No, this is very fair. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for it. But one of the things that we can all be doing consistently, whether it's an exit interviews in the end or ongoing, is is using this this set of of questions. And so. I I actually have the page pulled up. I'd be happy to read some of them. Please. That's excellent. Helpful for folks. And and this is something that I encourage you to like cut and paste. You know, if this serves you, this is why I wrote the book. I want people to be able to literally take what works for them and make it theirs. So one of the things that is really missing in the exit interview process is often about the values and how they're reflecting the culture and the operations. And so this is a set of of questions that I recommend folks ask in the exit interview process as it relates to both values and culture. So here's the first one. Where are we most successful in living our values? Where do we have the greatest opportunity for growth 
and living our values. If you had a magic wand, meaning there's no restrictions on your desire, what's one thing you'd change about our culture immediately? What was your high point in this role? What was your low point? And then finally, how might we be more effective in creating a culture that reflects our core values? Excellent. Really it doesn't open- have to be complicated, right? Like, no. It has to be so much more complicated than it needs to be. It doesn't. I can hear some objections. And so I'm curious if, if you've heard this before. Oftentimes, if employees are leaving on their own accord, many times they're leaving because they're unhappy. And do you feel like they give really honest, helpful answers to those questions if they're leaving and they're unhappy? It's so personal, right, to, to make a statement about that generally, because mm. I think there's a lot of people who can be leaving on unhappily and be very grounded in why and very clear in being able to say these are the values that were violated. These are the areas where I was really successful, me included, right? I've literally gone through this process myself when I left and there were places where I felt like I could speak the truth and there were places that I didn't. I didn't think mm-hmm. it was worth it because there was fear associated to what might happen to me if this got back to such and such and what would they do as a result of hearing that it just it, going back to the whole psychological safety piece right like there this is these questions are never going to be answered honestly if there isn't psychological safety yeah right and so that goes on the front end the back end and everywhere in between and then this idea of somebody leaving on on bad terms, so maybe they're being terminated and they don't think it's fair and all those kinds of things. Of course, their feelings are going to take a front seat if that's the mindset that they're in going into that experience. So it's not to say that every single answer that you get to these questions is an immediate change. It's an immediate, oh, we have to immediately change all these processes and things because this one person is telling us that, but rather being able to actually use it as a tool and resource for further curiosity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's would, no harm in that, getting curious. Yeah. I would suspect that there are embedding the values in the exit interview questions, but then there's embedding the values in the whole process. Right. So how have we lived up to our own values from the moment that we heard this employee was leaving or that from the moment that we made the determination that this employee needed to be terminated, where were we living our values? And and even having um, an after action review or some kind of meeting, how did we do with our values during this process, not just in the exit interview? Totally. And that's why I highly recommend that organizations do something that I call a values alignment survey, which is essentially taking your values. So we can just say excellence is one of your values. And you literally have on a whether it's a quarterly basis, twice a year, once a year, you can decide what the cadence of it is. But you literally put out this is our value. This is excellence. This is what excellence stands for. On a scale of one to 10, how as an organization overall are we doing when it comes to living this value? Then you ask, how are we doing? How is your team doing when it comes to living this value? And then you ask, how are you doing when it comes mm-hmm. to living this value? Mm-hmm. And I find that when I work with teams where we break it up between those three categories, it is 
fascinating. Interesting. To start being able to see which teams, is there a disconnect? Because you can filter based on teams if you ask for those demographics. And then what is the disconnect between self-awareness and the organization overall, the team overall? Only twice have I not had this experience. So pretty much all the time, you're always going to have higher scores on the individual living than the organization or the team, which is wonderful for me when I come in because then I get to say, all right, folks, so who works here? <laughs> right. The, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. Right. right. And so it, it, it creates an illumination for people of like, oh, well, maybe I think higher of how I'm doing this than we really are because ultimately I am the culture, right? Everybody here makes up the culture and it creates a really healthy starting point for these conversations that don't start when someone's leaving or just when they're coming on board, but rather an ongoing pulse check. This is something I recommend that people do in their regular one-on-ones so that it's part of a standard set of questions during one-on-ones. You know, how are, how am I doing when it comes to living the values? How are you doing when it comes to living the values? So it's a two-way conversation because we also hear that statement all the time. People leave managers. They don't leave companies. Right. Well, if you don't have two way opportunity for people to give feedback of, you know, when it comes to our value of collaboration, I felt like that's really been missed between us recently. And I'd like to figure out what we need to do to get back in alignment. If you can say that with your supervisor, there is a credible psychological safety, trust, an opportunity to create a values aligned culture versus a nice idea for some people kind of thing. Yeah. I have this question bubbling around here. I'm, I'm working with another client and I don't even remember the name of the system that they're using, but it's like an ongoing feedback system. And I would say it's like a pulse check. I don't remember if individual leaders send it out or if HR sends it out, but they have the idea of doing this pulse check on their values. And, you know, you work with so-and-so. How is this leader doing in this domain? And they're just kind of doing this and they're, it's like on a monthly basis. So they're collecting this information all the time. And because we're human beings and we're messy, Sometimes it's going to be high. Sometimes it's going to be low. We're not expecting people to be perfect. But I'm, I'm curious if you have seen or used an assessment tool and even, or even how you feel about that anonymity. So some people say, I don't want anonymous. All of our conversations need to be face-to-face. I don't want people hiding behind a survey. So, you know, I'm curious how you feel about that whole bundle of questions there. Yeah, well, I think it's really smart when companies are being intentional about pulse checks and things like that. Where it gets gray and a little muddy is when it's weaponized, Mm -hmm. when it becomes a tool for manipulation. I cannot tell you how many times I've worked with companies who give bonuses on the days that their Gallup surveys get put out, right? Like, or they're going to have the holiday party that day, or they're going to get, you know, some kind of a bigger positive thing that's going on, which is obviously going to influence the way in which you take 
those kinds of surveys because you could take literally the exact same survey two days apart and have a completely different experience based on what happened with that person or your team or the company in that week or in the, that day that could dramatically shift. You know, trust can be broken and then it can be regained. And so that's yeah. going to make a big impact impact on how you answer them. But as far as the idea of anonymous versus full disclosure, it's hard because I've been on the receiving end of both giving and receiving. And I remember in my last job, before I started my business, I was to do a 360, which is a pretty common tool of, of, you know, giving reviews and things on specific categories for people. And my supervisor asked me, didn't give any context, just kind of sent the link and said, you know, I need you to take this. I had no idea if it was anonymous or if I was going to be there, but then I learned like it was going to show that it was from one of her subordinates. I knew that. And so then it was just scary. The whole time taking the survey mm. was scary for me because there was not psychological safety. This person had erupted um, on me before. They were threatened by the work that I was doing and we had a really great dynamic and then it turned out not to be so great because they just got really insecure with the success that I was having. And um, I literally remember changing the way I said things so that she mm. wouldn't be able to guess it was me because that's the level of fear that was associated in the dynamic. Right. And, and that's so interesting, even as kind of a litmus test on whether you have psychological safety or not. Are, are you willing for your the person that you're answering the survey about, do you want them to know that you said it? Right. I think even that question, adding that question (laughs) would be massive. Right. Because it's not saying like, do you have psychological safety? But it is at the same time. Right. Right. It's it's asking that question. And a lot of people will say it's funny because a lot of my work is listening, 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 listening to what, what people are experiencing and how to support them and what they're experiencing. And they're more than happy to tell me, but they are not willing to have that conversation directly. And 99% of the time, it's because they're afraid. They're afraid based on the way they've seen that person respond in the past to that. They're afraid because they personally don't have those that skill set and they don't know how to develop it. They're afraid because they're, they don't want to lose their job or to have that person think differently of them as a result of it. And those are all areas of great opportunity for both the person on the receiving and the giving end of being right. powerful conversations on, is that you as an individual that just is scared in general, or is it because of this environment? Right. And that goes back, I think, to the last episode that we did together on psych, where we were talking more about psychological safety and, and all of that, that we're not coming into our organizations with a blank slate. We've had experiences with previous organizations. We've had experiences in our families around, you know, is it safe to speak up? And so we're coming with our own thing. And then, you know, the people that we work for, they're human beings as well. And so we really have to work hard for this psychological safety and these conversations for values and all of that. Mary Beth, I so appreciate the work that you're doing and really the pragmatic way that, especially in the second half of the book and in speaking to you today, that you're operationalizing values, that they're not just kind of this um, warm and fuzzy thing to do, 
but they really don't matter or they don't matter as much if you're not weaving them through the whole operations of the business. So I just congratulate you on your book, on the success that you're having and the work that you're doing. It's really inspirational. Thank you. Mm, Thank you so much, Leanne. What a gift to have a new friend, a like-hearted, like-minded, like-spirited friend here in this space and and to be a part of your community here today. Yeah. Well, thank you. Tell us again how to stay in touch with you. And I will put all the links in the show notes here for people who want to reach out or just be in touch. Absolutely. So, If you are interested in joining the conversation, I post pretty much every single day on LinkedIn. So I'm super active there. I'd love to be connected. I'd love to engage with you. I'd be happy to answer any questions you may want to dive into more deeply. LinkedIn's a great place for me for that. If you're interested in checking out the book, Permission to be Human, The Conscious Leader's Guide to Creating a Values-Driven Culture, you can find it on Amazon or any major retailer that sells books. And then if you're interested in checking out what we have going on in the community, or if you're interested in having some support with your organization, or perhaps even as an individual leader, you can check out our website, which is sparkvisionnow.com. All right. Again, links will be in the show notes. And for anyone who is really antsy to connect on LinkedIn, I found out there are more than one Mary Beth Highland on LinkedIn. And uh, you have to write Mary Beth together. Yes. One word, capital B. Yeah. One (laughs) word. And that's like me, one word, capital A. So it's Leanne. So yours is Mary Beth, the very same way. And so make sure that you're connecting to the right Mary Beth. Um, Thank you again. Um, This has been such a pleasure. And I wish you uh, much, much success and the writing of more love letters. (laughs) Thank you, Leanne. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Rise Leaders Radio on your preferred podcast platform. Your ratings, reviews, and shares are also really appreciated. You can also visit rise-leaders.com for all the resources we talked about today and to work with me if you're committed to making your unique and positive impact. Thank you for listening and remember, elevate your part of the world.